Good morning. Glad you guys are here this morning. Um, if you have been with us in the last few weeks, you know that we're kind of going through this this rooted campaign, and specifically over the last now this is the third week. We, um, if you're in a small group, we've been doing this this process of uh, genius of generosity by Chip Ingram, and so we're continuing that study. and uh, And this morning we're going to dive into understanding um, a, a rooted part of our Christian faith, and so. If you have your Bibles, you can turn with me, but I'm going to be kind of referencing um, what is known as the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. And in this, we kind of hear this, this beginning and this proclamation of Jesus' gospel. And, you know, if you're like me, I grew up in church and, and understanding that Jesus' gospel is the fact that Jesus came and the Son of God. And he died on the cross for my sins. And if I put my faith and trust in him, then... Uh, one day I will be able to go and enter into the kingdom of heaven um, when I die. And in the reality, if, as we look at the gospel of Jesus Christ, we're looking at what Jesus came. Gospel, this term means good news. And so what is this good news that Jesus is speaking of and what is his gospel? Yes, it includes you and I being able to enter into heaven and commune with God for eternity. But really, primarily what Jesus preached as the gospel was that the kingdom of God is here and available to all who want to enter into it. And that's good news for you and for me, that the kingdom of God is not just some far off place that we enter when we die, that the kingdom of God in Christ's coming is now available for all who want to enter into it. And so as you begin looking at, we're not going to do, we're not going to dive in deep into uh, a lot of Matthew 5, but if you were to begin looking into that, you immediately you see, you know, blessed is the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God, right? You hear these people that, you know, are almost kind of down and out, but they are blessed. And Jesus is proclaiming that they're blessed. And blessed means that there is the availability of the kingdom of God made available to them. They're blessed. That the kingdom of God is available. The kingdom of God, we are blessed this morning because the kingdom of God is available to us. And thank goodness. It is not waiting far off for eternity that's available to you and I here and now. And we can begin learning how to and walking in the kingdom of God here in this life. Not just in the life that is to come. As Jesus continues on in his teaching in Matthew chapter 5, uh, I'm going to pick up reading in verse 17. So you can follow along with me. Jesus says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law of, or the prophets. I have come to abolish them. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I tell you the truth, unless until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter or the least stroke of the pen by any means will disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Anyone who breaks one of these, one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Let me read that last verse again. I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is making a distinction here. And by this distinction, we see that there are two forms of righteousness that Jesus is referring to. There is the righteousness of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. And there is, for this morning's sake, we're going to call the righteousness in accordance with the kingdom of God. Now, he doesn't go on to necessarily 
spell out and give a definition of here's the righteousness according to the kingdom of God, but he alludes to it in everything that he's saying next. So to begin with, what is this righteousness that he's referring to? Because if you're familiar with the Gospels and Jesus' teaching, you know that Jesus is not real friendly to the Pharisees. I mean, he's kind of calling them out on a regular basis of how they've missed things. And, and to be a Pharisee meant that they devoted themselves to the law. They devoted themselves to, and where did the law begin? It began with these Ten Commandments that was given to Moses, right? And then there grew to be multiple laws and more laws and more uh, things that they are to follow, more traditions that they're to follow. And this is where, you know, the Pharisees get upset when Jesus' disciples are not washing their hands ceremonially like, like they're taught to do as the tradition in the Old Testament. And Jesus isn't concerned with that, right? So for the Pharisee, the, the, the law was everything. And so understanding that and understanding the righteousness of the Pharisee is, is primary to understand what Jesus is inviting us to in accordance with his gospel and his kingdom. Because if the law is everything, then, then the Pharisees and the teachers of the law literally came to this point that they had rules and orders and traditions that they were following. Like you and I would take a, a checklist and check boxes and make sure that they're not doing something that would break one of these laws or traditions, but make sure that when they did something, they did it in accordance with the instructions that were given. You follow me? So for a Pharisee, everything is based on action. And if you acted accordingly properly, then there was righteousness because you were acting justly in accordance with the law. And where you did not act right in accordance with the traditions and the law, then there was an injustice that was taking place. And there was a payment and a penalty that had to be paid and a sacrifice that would have to be made so that they could step back into a place of righteousness. And so they found themselves riddled with needing to live this devote life to know these rules and these laws and these traditions and then follow them. And Jesus just comes and, and really blows them out of the water because for them, righteousness was about the external, outward appearance. And so where, where if you and I were living as Pharisees, that then we're concerned with how others are going to see this action or what this action that I'm doing is. And if you were really devout and a person of high integrity, then you would be gratefully mindful of how you're going about things during the day to make sure you're following the law, whether someone's watching or not. But Jesus, you know, rebukes the Pharisees, even in how they pray, you know, that they stand up and, and pray these loud, boisterous prayers and want everybody to look at them and see. And he's commending and telling his story, commending the guy who is quiet and humble and recognizes that he stands before God as a sinner. So this righteousness in accordance with the kingdom of God was something far beyond what the righteousness of the Pharisees was, where they lived to be noticed, and it was all about a visible action. What Jesus says next, after verse 21 that we just read, he, he begins to talk about murder. He, and you're, you're probably familiar with this. He says, you know, if you, you say you try not to murder or you have this law, do not murder. And, but the reality is, if you've murdered and you have hatred in your heart towards somebody else, you're guilty of that sin. As he talks about adultery, he says, if you have lust in your heart, then you're guilty of that sin. It's not just about the action. Jesus is teaching about a righteousness in the kingdom of God. He says it is about also the heart and about the motivation and the intention behind. Anybody guilty of, of any of the things 
that may be on that list. That the heart wasn't in the right place, but the action was able to check the box. And this is the righteousness that Jesus is presenting in his gospel. As he goes through and he talks about murder and adultery and divorce and oaths that you take or an eye for an eye. Just read the rest of this chapter and you'll hear the heart of what Jesus is addressing because that's exactly what Jesus is addressing is the heart. And so where do you and I find hope and find good news in Jesus' gospel in this righteousness that he is putting before us? You see, in God's plan, the function of our will is to trust in the Lord. And in the enemy's plan, the function of our will is to trust in the self. Now, I don't know if any of you are like me, but it doesn't take much of me diving into Scripture and and understanding principles like this that I begin to see the Pharisee in myself. And I would challenge each of you to, to look in the mirror and to try to discover That Pharisee that exists because we're all born into this nature of sin and we're all born into this nature that needs to kind of have a place and needs to be able to have an action and needs to be able to find something to be proud in and also find something to to kind of hold ourselves to a standard. But the reality is it's not about a moral code or a moral tradition. It's not about right and wrong anymore. It's about the transformation of a heart that Jesus came to bring. In his kingdom, as we embrace the spirit of God and as the spirit of God begins to do a work within us in this process, we call sanctification. In this process of us embracing the change of our character. Embracing the change within our heart that we're we're not just doing the right thing or the wrong thing, but that we're doing it from a heart that is desiring to grow and to reflect and to be like the heart of Christ. You see, as we dive into understanding this, this kingdom righteousness, then we have to recognize that this, this righteousness of the Pharisees is about doing, and this righteousness that Jesus is calling us to is a, is a righteousness about being and becoming. And if you're anything like me, I'm not there yet. Because it's a journey. And it's a journey toward transformation. It's a journey toward growth. It's a journey toward becoming like him. And that's what God has in store for us. As Jesus begins to teach and talk about this righteousness of the Pharisees, then we have to look and understand what does righteousness mean biblically. There's a proverb 11.10, in Proverbs 11.10, reads, When the righteous prosper, the city rejoices. And when the wicked perish... There are shouts of joy. So let me just kind of put that in front of you. The the first part of this this verse, when the righteous prosper, the city rejoices. So imagine these people, probably wealthy people, probably people had some means, probably people with some level of influence in society. And, And the reality is that when they prosper, these certain people, the city stands to rejoice. Now, if you're like me, that probably seems a bit odd because it it seems like the rich are getting richer and the poor are getting poorer. But this passage is speaking to something profoundly more than that. And this is speaking to this kingdom righteousness that that Jesus is referring to, this, this reality of something more. Because the righteous are these people that God is calling us to be. And what did that mean? 
I love what um, I love what Tim Keller has uh, has put together, and so I'm going to read this passage. It's too good to uh, for me to summarize. So just listen along with me for a minute. He says the Hebrew word sadakini, the righteous, and what these people do with their wealth, status, influence, and power is is to use it for the cause of justice. They steward all they have in accordance with God's righteous ways and in sync with God's passionate concern for the less fortunate members of society. In commenting on the word sarakim, the Hebrew lexicon says that the righteous are by definition those who are willing to disadvantage themselves for the advantage of the community. Let me read that again. The righteous are those who are willing to disadvantage themselves for the advantage of the community. These are the just. The wicked are those who put their own economic and social needs ahead of the rest of community. So the Sadakim are leaders who spend themselves for the good of their community. They are willing to sacrifice in order to advantage the needy. And that's why the Proverbs make sense. The, the city rejoices and the poor rejoice when the righteous, when the Sadakim prosper, because they know that they will share in that prosperity. They know that the Sadakim, those who will use what they have to promote justice and shalom and health for the city. This is a whole nother layer of righteousness. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ being presented in truth that we're no longer living to try to fulfill this law and, and be able to check boxes and it just be about right and wrong. But there is a work of transformation that the Holy Spirit that Jesus ushers in and the Holy Spirit wants to do in your life and my life to lead us to be a people that are righteous. Biblical righteousness is inevitably social because it's all about relationships. When, most, when the most modern people think of, right, of the word righteous in the Bible, they tend to think of, think of things in terms of private morality, such as sexual chastity or diligence in prayer and Bible study. But, the, but in the Bible, the sadakim is a, is a person who is living to conduct all relationships in family, society, and fairness, generosity, and equity. If we're going to be a people and talk and discuss about generosity, then we have to look at the roots of where generosity comes from. Because it is from the righteousness and the righteousness that the Holy Spirit wants to have become the core and the center of your life that generosity can flow. The roots of generosity are righteousness. The natural expression of being the people, being the Sadakim, is generosity being expressed socially in the world. Jesus wants to do this work that you and I would become that type of people. Not just be generous and give money, but give money or be generous and be kind and in people's lives and be known as a person that is generous to the point that you care for others' needs. I wrestled with this question for years about who is the poor? As you search through Scripture, there's a lot that Scripture has to say about the poor. And, uh, and a, lot is, a lot is frustrating. And, and, and so I literally spent time in prayer asking the Lord, just, I know there's a clarity of definition for the poor. And the, the, one day, years ago, a, kind of a, a thought went through my head, and, it's, and it solved so many of those questions that I had. The poor is anyone who has a need of something that I, am in, I have possession of. So if you are hungry and have no food and I have a pantry of food, then you are poor in food and I have the ability to care 
for that. If you're a neighbor and you don't have a lawnmower, and I do, guess what? You're poor in lawnmower, okay? And so I have a lawnmower I can share, right? If you're poor and you don't have a home and I have an extra bed, then guess what? I have an opportunity, right, to, to sow into your life and to help provide for something that you have need of. So the need and the poor are not just people who, are, who, who don't have money in the bank. You have people poor in your life that you are in close relationship with. It just may not be financial. Does that mean that we aren't to be generous financially with those who are financially poor? No, I'm just trying to broaden the understanding of poverty. And here's this reality is that the Lord has a plan and a purpose for you and I to be his agents of righteousness. His agents of generosity in this world. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 through, through 21. Let me read this to you. This is Paul speaking. And he says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone and the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting, pe- not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. And we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become what? The righteousness of God, that we might become the Sadakim to this world. He made him who knew no sin to become sin, that through us we might become the Sadakim to the world in which we live. That we might become the righteous of God. Now, if you understand any of what I'm trying to refer to and, and doing my best to make clear this morning, then you have to understand that if every one of us, last week I talked about everybody pulling out their wallet and putting everything they had in the, in the offering plate and then we pass it around, right? We're not doing that. But imagine that everybody took everything they had in possession and put it into this vision of what we're doing to build the church, right? We wouldn't build the church. Now, we may build a building, but there's no amount of money that we possess that can build what God has given us a vision for. He's given us a vision to be the righteous. And it's only in being the Sadakim, it is only in allowing the Holy Spirit to pierce our hearts and to do a work within us to be a people who care about God and who care about our neighbor more than we care about ourselves, that the fulfillment of the vision of who this man is who died on the cross can be seen when people look into our face. It is not about a check that we can write. It is not about a cent that we can give. It is not about money. God is about your heart. And that's what the Lord teaches when he teaches and talks about money. And it's the very reason in which he addresses money. Because he knows that money has a place in our heart unlike anything else. And he cares about our heart. And he cares about reflecting his heart through our heart. That we would become his ambassadors in this world. And reflect to a hurting and broken and lost world. The righteousness of God. Amen. That deserves an amen, doesn't it? 
you want to take a step toward being the Sadakim, then it means that there's something more than writing a chip. It means that opening our hearts and it says, Lord, come and search me and know me and know my anxious thoughts. Show me and reflect to me the things that you still want to do with me. Show me and transform my character that my character can look like you. And where I'm tempted and where I'm frustrated and where I'm struggling, Lord, then lead me to this place. You see, the, the, the righteousness of the Pharisees The Pharisees always had this hidden nature about them. There's always a level of secrecy because they're trying to do the right thing, but maybe from the wrong heart. And when you're trying to do the right thing from the wrong heart, then there's something about you that you don't want other people to see. But in the righteousness in the kingdom of God, then there is a heart that says, you know what? I want some accountability in my life. I want to have some close friends that I can sit down and share everything with because there's nothing in my heart I want to be kept hidden anymore. And when you find yourself living in that way, you will find that there's a huge burden being taken off your back because there's an authenticity authenticity about who you are that is in alignment with the Spirit of God. And now you're walking in the kingdom that Jesus said I came to bring you. But as long as we find ourselves, as I do, thinking like a Pharisee and thinking about what is this going to look like or or needing to be able to judge this or that. You see, the justice, according to a Pharisaical righteousness, says that I need to have an opinion and and a judgment over everything that I see. Anybody guilty of that? That's a little Pharisee in you, right? And so needing to have an opinion and a perspective of what you see to be right all the time is that Pharisee within us. But Jesus says, I came that you might be set free. Because the reality of justice in kingdom righteousness is not about right and wrong. In kingdom righteousness, it first has to flow through this filter of is this loving? This is where we can understand the passage that says mercy triumphs over judgment. Because in kingdom righteousness, justice is first loving before it is judging. But where we find ourselves judging and not asking the loving questions, then we've just discovered a little bit of Pharisee. Is that a good thing? Yes, it's a good thing to have discovered it. Because now that it's drawn into the light, now it is before us. Now we can reflect and see, okay, who would Jesus be in this moment? And we can we can. Gaze upon the beauty of who he is and who he was and who he wants to be through us. And we can see and have an invitation to change. That's embracing the righteousness. That's embracing and taking a step toward being the Sadakim. You are not just the Sadakim immediately. There is a place of being the Sadakim in the kingdom. But there is a growth and maturity in growing to represent and express this generosity that comes from being the Sadakim. In wrapping up, I just want you to hear a couple things. Number one, generosity leads us to trust God because we have to put our faith in Him to provide everything. Right now, we've grown up, all of us have grown up with this pharisaical perspective of finances and money that says, you know what, I've done my deal and I've got my money, I can put my trust in this and I've carved this out and I know what I can rely on because I know I know what I've got in the bank or I'm putting my trust in being able to provide for myself. But the Lord's not interested in that. The Lord is interested in faith. The Lord is interested in depending and leaning and, de- and needing him in our life. And so if you have money in the bank, that's not a problem. It's what are, what, where is that money in your heart? And is that money in your heart keeping you from being able to grow in faith? 
and be able to experience the faith that God has because that's where we find ourselves in relationship with Him. The second thing I want you to hear as I'm wrapping up here is generosity is not about depriving yourself of something good. Being generous and being the Sadakim is not about depriving yourself of being something good. Being the Sadakim and being generous is about choosing what is great. It's about choosing Christ. It's about choosing God. And it's about choosing to be an agent in his kingdom that looks at need or that, that has eyes to be able to even see need and has a heart that wants to respond. This is where Jesus says, you know, I, did not, I didn't come to throw away the law. I came to fulfill it. But this new command I give you, love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbors yourself. This is the, this is the filter that everything needs to pass through to be just. And kingdom righteousness. It's not actions. It's about becoming. If you, if you want to be a person who is growing. And choosing to grow. To become the Sadakim in the world that we live. Then this is where you look. Listen to Philippians 2. As I read verses 3 through 8. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as, as Christ Jesus, who, being the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be, be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. The great Sarakim. The holy, righteous one. You want to lead your heart toward becoming the Sarakim? Toward walking in the kingdom of God? Then this is where we look. We gaze upon this cross and we look at who this man was, that though he was equal to God, he did not see this as something to advantage himself by, but instead humbled himself for our sake. What is the work that God wants to do in you today? Where is he holding up a mirror to show you the reality of who he is, but also point out then this invitation of where your heart can change. God has plans for us, and praise God that no amount of money can fulfill that. But what are you going to bring your heart to? Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, that you want our hearts. You call us to be holy as you are holy. You call us to be righteous. You call us to be generous. Lord, you simply want to express yourself through us. And we say this morning, come and have your way. Lord, come and point out the character things that want to stay hidden or need to stay secret. Lead us on this journey, Lord, to grow and to change. Jesus, we want to be the people that express your love and your kindness to all those who are around. 
So have your way in us today. In Jesus' name. This morning we have a real treat. So we've been in this rooted initiative, as we've said, and uh, what you may not know is our children have been doing it too for the last several weeks. And so we've been talking about these banks they've taken home, and uh, so they've been, you know, doing little odd jobs or, you know, suckering their grandparents into coming alongside and putting some money in. And, and so this morning they wanted to express their worship uh, by bringing their own sacrifice by bringing their boxes and their banks and and just as an offering as we do every Sunday morning to put their offering into their own offering basket for the purpose obviously of, of investing into the vision that God has but as they do this you know it's really sweet, it's really neat kids come in, but I want you to think about the nature of being a child Jesus says very clearly, if you're going to come into the kingdom then you must become like a child a child likeness because I'll tell you something, when they come in to bring their bank this morning, they're more excited about dumping into here than trying to hold on to it and take it home. Isn't there something we learn in that child likeness, right? That that by nature, there's this thought of keen that they embrace the same. This be cool. I can't wait to go dump all my money in for God, right? Ah, that's so good. And so this morning, I just want to invite you to let that challenge you. I want to invite you to pray for them as they come. I want you to pray for them that God would teach them early to be generous. Because we said, and Scott mentioned this, that the righteous, the Sadakim, they live by faith. They have their faith, their trust, their hope in one place. And so this morning as they come, may it just challenge you even again this morning in our own childlikeness. So with that kids, why don't you come? This is, I mean, you know when kids come in, it's going to be a little messy up here just so you know in advance, okay? So that's going to be awesome. Let's clap for them. Let's, yeah, there they're running. Yeah, here they come. They're... Yes. I'm going to hold this right here just so they can Father, we thank you for our children. And God, we thank you for this work that you're doing in their heart. And God, we do pray just an outpouring of faith and of trust.
trust and a belief and a hope in you. That God, the rest of their life, God, that they would truly grow into the Sadakim, this righteous one. Lord, who live by faith, God, generous in all that they do, hearts and hands open to say, Lord, whatever you want to do with my time, my money, my energy, and my resources. Pray you bless them in Jesus' name. So this, we're going to go to a time of just worship and ministry this morning. And so I invite our ministry teams to come forward. And we have uh, ministry on both sides. So if you have anything this morning that God is stirring in you, just want someone to come alongside and to, to pray for you. We'd love to do that this morning. Tithes and offerings. You know in Deuteronomy, God instituted this work of tithes. Why? Because of what God said this morning. We never want money to control our hearts. And so he set it up that we would always be bringing money into the storehouse. Say, Lord, here, this belongs to you. So we have the offerings so that you can take that step of worship. And lastly, but not least, obviously, is we have the greatest act of generosity that humankind has ever known. The body broken, the blood poured out in communion. And so I invite you this morning to come and, and to receive and to partake. And I simply want to ask you as a response this morning, just to allow God to really stir in you about this idea of where do you engage righteousness, right standing before the Lord. Is it, what is it? Is it your actions or is it your heart? And this morning, just allow God to put his finger on the places that he wants to put his finger on begin to stir in this place. So you respond as the Lord leads. I'll come back up in a minute and praise that. So let's go ahead and worship and allow God to minister to us.